I just kept on getting symptoms, just ongoing symptoms. And these symptoms just got more and more severe. And I had recurring bouts of this gastro bug, but I started losing weight like crazy. Uh, I had really bad joint pain. Back pain was just crazy. That's Ben Hampton. For more than a year, he was constantly sick, in pain, and out of sorts. The scariest part was he had no idea why. All the doctors and all the tests told Ben there was nothing wrong with him, but he didn't feel right and started to believe it was all in his head. It wasn't until a friend suggested he test for celiac disease that he finally got an answer and a whole new way of life, gluten-free. Ben's a busy father of two who's had to learn to adapt his life around celiac disease, and a big part of it is sharing his story. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. So Ben, what was your diet like throughout your life? It was pretty rubbish, to be honest. Before my celiac diagnosis, it wasn't the best and I wasn't really ever into uh, like working out or nutrition or anything. I found that uh, a lot later after my celiac diagnosis and just sort of improving myself and my diet and my lifestyle and, and working out and that sort of stuff. But beforehand, it was pretty bad. You know, I was into partying and drinking with my mates and uh, just eating a pretty rubbish uh, sort of diet. But yeah, that, that really improved after the celiac diagnosis. I've been really working on myself and figuring out diet and exercise and how our mind and gut is really connected as well. And uh, yeah, I've learned so much about myself since then. So throughout your life when you weren't really eating well and weren't taking the best care of yourself, how did you feel? And did you experience some of those symptoms through your childhood and your teenage years that you later came to find out were related to celiac? Yeah, absolutely. Like looking back, there were a lot of signs and symptoms that I was going through some things that would be associated with celiac disease for sure. You know, bloating, brain fog. I could never concentrate at school. I was just always kind of staring, you know, at the board and not really taking much information in. And the, the, the really hard thing is, though, that uh, celiac disease, it can be associated with over 200 known symptoms. Uh, so it just flies under the radar so much. And yeah, one in 70 people are estimated to have it in Australia, but wow. 80% are going undiagnosed, Far out. which is just, in, it's just insane. Yeah. So obviously, I was one of those. And I talk to guests on my podcast all the time about it. Uh, so many people go undiagnosed with this disease. And because it looks like yeah, so many other diseases or it looks like so many, uh, the symptoms are so common and associated with so many different things that it's really hard to nail it down. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for me, it was mostly like the brain fog. I'd get bloating, stomach aches, heaps. I'd have time off school thinking it was, you know, like a, a stomach virus or, you know, I like have food poisoning or something. It, it'd always be associated to something else. And I was constantly having antibiotics like I had so much time off school with being sick. And even in my 20s, my early 20s, I had bouts of sickness that were just crazy. Like I'd have months and months of sickness. And it was just always put down to, you know, 
you got a bad diet, you're probably not getting enough sleep, you know, you've got, you know, you're drinking a lot. So that's why your liver markers are up. Like there'd always be, you know, some sort of not excuse, I guess, because I don't know when the celiac diet, when my celiac disease was activated. But some but sort of, yeah, some yeah. sort of explanation that wasn't celiac disease, that was your fault, yeah, basically, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So knowing what celiac disease is now and the signs and symptoms of it, absolutely, I should have been screened for it. <sighs> like back when I was a kid in school. And yeah. so as a kid and as a teenager and in your adult life, being told, oh, well, this is your fault because you're not looking after yourself. How did you respond to that? Like, did you try to implement things that were going to give you some better health or did you ignore it? Did you get frustrated with it? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I just sort of accepted that was the way that my body was. And when I'd speak to people, you know, there'd always be those stages throughout your life. You know, when you're a teenager, it's like, oh, you sleep a lot and you're always tired. Like yeah. that's just something you go through when you're at school. Like I didn't really question that. Not being able to focus, it's like, well, you know, you got a bad diet or you're not exercising enough or you're not doing the right things in, you know, in your own lifestyle. And it's like, okay, yeah, fair enough. And like with the bloating and the stomach aches, it's like, well, same sort of thing. You know, you're not looking after your body, you're not eating right. Yeah. Um, so it, it, and I yeah, guess to, to an extent, maybe people up. would say just bad luck of the draw, having symptoms like it, that. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, your body just doesn't function all that well. And that's sort of bad luck. And if you're so used to that over time, you think, oh, I guess this is just my lot and what I have to put up with. But the whole time it was something that is very treatable. That is just flying under the surface. That's it. And I think what really kicked it off was uh, actually in 2020, at the end of 2020, um, I was diagnosed. But throughout that entire year, I had crazy, crazy symptoms. And I think that's when it was truly activated, if it wasn't fully activated beforehand. So tell us about I that. Had, yeah. Yeah. So I had pretty much every symptom that you can, you can read on uh, celiac symptoms. I had bloating, brain fog, I had a lot of mental issues as well. Uh, anxiety, depression was really kicking in. I just couldn't focus on anything. I was just so spaced out. We had our first daughter. I was just, I was in a mess. And uh, I think, I, you know, it was being put down to that again, you know, mm. flying under the radar. Look, you're stressed. You just had a virus. And uh, at the beginning of 2020, actually, my wife and I caught a gastro bug that my daughter brought home from daycare, as you do with, <laughs> with daycare, you're always catching uh, the bugs that the, the kids bring home. And yeah, we all caught it, but they seemed to improve within a couple of weeks, both of them. But I just kept on getting symptoms, just ongoing symptoms. And these symptoms just got more and more severe. And I had recurring bouts of this gastro bug, but I started losing weight like crazy. Uh, I had really bad joint pain, back pain was just crazy. Yeah, not being able to focus on anything, which, you know, people in the celiac and gluten-free space called brain fog. Yeah, literally just not being able to concentrate on a single thing at all, just losing my focus with anything. And uh, yeah, it just, it just got worse and worse. And I was going to a health professional, to, uh, to, to a doctor to ask about what was going on. And they said, look, get on the probiotics, start cleaning up your diet a little bit. Uh, don't change your diet drastically. And that is one thing that I should have. That was the only thing about. you needed to do. Well, not the only thing, but the main thing. Yeah, yeah. But, and, but they kept on saying, like, I don't think it's diet related. This can't be diet related. I think it's something else that's going on. So we'll test for different things, test for, you know, like I had a blood test, CT, MRI. 
uh, the, the, the works basically. And this kept on going on for, you know, six to 12 months, basically this entire year. And by the end of it, I was an absolute mess. Like I was pale as anything. I had lost 10 kilos. I was just, I felt like I was on death's door and I knew that uh, something was severely wrong with me. If it wasn't um, something physical, then something mentally was stopping me from somehow, you know, eating the right foods or something. I, I was doing something to myself that I knew just wasn't sitting right and I needed an answer for it and I just wasn't getting it. And uh, it was only when my wife's friend actually had a celiac disease uh, diagnosis at the, the year before in 2019. And she said, look, ask your doctor for this. And uh, I, I brought it forward to my doctor and they were like, well, look, we've pretty much done everything else. We can't spot anything. There's nothing major going on. So let's yeah, give it a go. We'll see what happens. They rang me back up, sat in the doctor's office and they were like, you are severely celiac. Like your results are literally off the charts. We can't read them. Uh, so you need to go on a gluten challenge, uh, which is where you need to eat gluten for a period of six weeks and then um, have an endoscopy. And then they take a little sample, a biopsy of your small intestine, and they see if uh, your villi have been damaged. And that's how they can basically diagnose if, if you're celiac. And I had that done. Uh, the gastroenterologist said, look, your charts right now, I, I can tell you're you're definitely celiac. I just want to check that you haven't done some really bad damage that, you know, having this celiac disease diagnosis. And so, yeah, they did the testing and it came back and he rang and said, yeah, you have celiac disease, hundred percent go gluten-free for the rest of your life. And then this whole roller coaster started. It's about crazy that, that yeah. given that you had all those symptoms that doctors and all the people that you went to for help wouldn't say, hey, these are celiac symptoms. <laughs> we should test for celiac. You know, that's uh, yeah. that's pretty surprising. But I guess just goes to show that commonly it isn't diagnosed, and that those symptoms look like a whole range of other things that they tested for that came up blank. But that during that twelve month period, when doctors were saying like, look, you're fine, maybe to the point of it's in your head. What were you thinking? What did you put it down to? How did you view yourself? Did you think I'm going crazy, or what was that like in your head? So the answer is yes, I thought I was going crazy. And that in itself was really hard to deal with. I think I've always had some sort of form of hypochondria growing up. I think it's always something that I've had to deal with. Uh, but thinking about, you know, if I ever did have something serious going on with my health, it's always been in the back of my head. And it's been something that's really uh, impacted my life in a massive way. I was really overweight at school. I think something to do with that and health and that my family never really talked about health uh, related things. We'd always kind of shy away from the subject if it was ever brought up. So I'd always kind of have, I don't know, um, a bit of a- Like a stigma? A bit of a, yeah, yeah. A bit of a propensity to kind of think that something was always kind of wrong with me anyway. Mm. And I'd have this thing in my head that like, what if anything were to happen down the track? I don't know how I would mentally and physically deal with that. Because hypochondria and, uh, is thinking that you're sick when you're not or worrying, over worrying about the possibility of getting sick. But it's interesting you're saying that because by all accounts, you did have something going on in the background and sort of like your body or your mind was trying to say, hey, something isn't right. And so those signals, they were there for a reason, it seems like. That's it. And I think in a way, in a really ironic way, I guess the celiac disease diagnosis kind of confirmed that I should be kind of 
you know, not to the form of like hypochondria to like to, to be constantly worrying about um, my health because I don't think that's healthy at all, but to have some degree of, you know, uh, seeking out help for your health, whether that be physical or mental, just to be kind of on the lookout for how your diet's going, how you're looking after yourself in all aspects, you know, holistically, like physically and mentally. Yeah, because it's so connected. Because I think we've always thought of mental and physical health as being separate, but the more research is done, the more we find how intertwined those are. And there's so much research coming out now about gut health in particular and microbiome yeah. and how that impacts the brain. And we're just learning so much more about how important that is. What about you being a father during that time? So you just had your second daughter. So you're the father of two young children and you're spending a lot of time in bed. You're essentially not able to operate properly. What kind of pressure did that put on you and your relationship with your partner as well? Because that must have been really hard and must have made you feel insecure or like not enough of a man or not enough of a dad at times. Yeah, that, that was definitely, definitely something I struggled with. Um, we only had the, our, our one daughter at that stage. Our uh, second daughter was born after my, my diagnosis. But um, yeah, even just, yeah, having our, having our first daughter and my wife, uh, kind of having to take the load of, you know, the, the, the whole process, the whole time, you know, looking after our daughter and, um, and bringing her up. And I, just, I was just, yeah, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. Uh, I, I was still operating. I was still going to work, but I was having so much time off work. I was, yeah, just, just pulled over in pain a lot of the time, just having to be near a bathroom and all the while not knowing what was going on mm. as well. Like I'm someone who's just like, you know, if they have an answer to something, like, I guess that's the practical side of me. It's like, okay, I have an answer to this. I can move forward with it, but not having an answer to why all this crap is going on with yeah, me. Yeah, that's the worst. It, it was horrible. Yeah. And, and so, and I, I clearly actually remember a moment um, just, you know, looking at my daughter while I was changing her and she just sort of, she sort of looked at me. I don't know if it was just the way, you know, my brain was feeling at that moment and the amount of brain fog and not being able to focus. But like, I was just looking at her and I swear she just looked back at me and was just like, what? You're not like, you're just changing so much. Like I can't really see my dad, mm. you know? And I was really hard. And I like, I looked in the mirror at that point and I was like, who the hell are you? Yeah. Like you just, you look like crap and you got to sort this out. So I went back to my doctor and, and that was when I just, I started getting, you know, a lot more testing. And I was just like, we got to figure this out. Like what is, what's going on? Yeah. How did your partner support you through that time? What was she saying to you? Cause being on the receiving end of that, where you're trying to raise a child with someone and, and then that yeah. person who you've fallen in love with and decided to be with and have a child with is falling apart and no one knows why. Like there's a lot of difficulty there for the partner feeling helpless. I imagine as to how do they help you? Was she encouraging you to go and get all the tests or how did she handle all of that oh she's just been the most amazing support ever she's just she's yeah just incredible the most strong resilient person i know in my life hands down she has just been there from you know day one just supporting me pushing me to to figure out what was going on but she has had a chat to me post diagnosis and she has explained that yeah i was like seriously worried about you I, she just she didn't know either and she just wanted an answer like me so we could figure out what was going on and just to move forward with that but not having an answer herself she was like well 
what do we do? You've been for all this testing. You know, we were in lockdown at this point as well. So yeah. it was like so hard to go get testing and have procedures done and, and booking in for doctors in general. Like they were flat chat and fair enough. Like they were, you know, they were doing everything they could and resources were way down for them. And so I, I seriously feel for health professionals in that way too. But yeah, my wife has just been just been a huge, huge support. But yes, yeah, she was like super worried and and having to have that load of, you know, not getting much sleep, breastfeeding our bub and mm. taking that whole thing on as well. And, and I was doing what I could, but like I was just an absolute mess towards the end when before I actually got my positive blood test, I was just totally out of it. Like I was putting things where they shouldn't be and, you know, just... <laughs> doing a whole bunch of random stuff that just didn't make sense. And it was actually making my wife's job of, you know, helping raise our daughter just way harder. Like, and I just felt, as you said, like, I guess a bit less of a man, just not even being able to, you know, perform my job as a father and, and a husband, which was, yeah, terrible. But she's just been just an absolute rock. And even after post-diagnosis, she's just been incredible just the, the biggest support in yeah. my life. Lucky you had her there. Would have been bad if you were oh, a yeah. single parent yeah. or if you were just by yourself going through all that. What were you worried yeah, I, was going to happen? I, th I honestly thought I was dying. I thought I had um, some sort of severe form of cancer, uh, something like that going on with me. And um, I guess that was the thing that was always playing in the back of my head. And I think becoming a father as well, uh, that really, really changes your mindset. It's not just about yourself anymore. And you've got this little person in the world that like, it, it's yours. And you know, you've, you've brought this um, little person into the world and they count on you for everything, you know, to have the thought of like not being there with them. I think that's what was uh, doing my head in a lot. Yeah. I'm just so happy that I was able to get a diagnosis and get out of that get out of that space and i had an answer at the end of the day too like that was that was the main thing what was your response when you got that diagnosis and how did you start to implement it or face that new problem straight away yeah so i shock total shock when i sat in the doctor's office i was like well, yeah, that, like that makes sense. Like i started looking into celiac disease and the signs and symptoms of it and like I, everything okay like the blow in the brain fog the joint pain the you know looking pale as losing tons of weight like like i was really really skinny lost 10 kilos as i said and i'm, I'm a small person to begin with so yeah just a, a mix of shock uh, but but also just sort of being happy to have an answer at the end of the day and then finding out what i need to do to get healthier and to you know, build myself back up again, mentally and physically. And uh, yeah, so basically with celiac disease, I should, probably should explain that too. With celiac disease, it's an autoimmune disease. It's not an allergy as many people think it is. And so when people ingest gluten, when they have celiac disease, it damages the uh, small intestine, these things called villi, which are these things that absorb all the nutrients when you, when you eat your, the food that we ingest. And um, yeah, when people have those villi blunted with celiac disease, you can't absorb the nutrients properly into your body. And so you, that's why you're getting all these different, you know, health effects that are, that are happening to, you know, anemia, um, osteoporosis, some people get, you can even get some form of cancers because there's so much inflammation in the intestines and all over the body at that stage. 
And uh, yeah, so you have to follow the only known treatment for it at this stage is a strict lifelong adherence to a gluten-free diet. Yeah, I've just been following that and figuring that out for the last two years now. And uh, it's it's a process. It's a it's a serious process. Basically, having to avoid you know a crumb of gluten for the rest of your days is uh, it's pretty full on. And the the thing that I think people get confused about a lot is the the cross contamination aspect of it. So it's fine. You could you know people know what a gluten free. There's so many gluten free options out there these days. But when you're eating out at a cafe or a restaurant or even at a friend or family's place you know, you, it's so awkward. There's that social aspect to it Yeah. that you, you know, you, you have to be so, so careful not to get cross-contaminated. Uh, yeah. So like if someone has been preparing that, but they're touching that with the gloves or that touched something else that wasn't, and then a crumb of something that's not gluten-free somehow gets into that, then that's enough to put you in hospital or, or give you serious complications. Yeah, so I, I luckily don't have to be like hospitalized when I've been glutened that I know of. That's the other thing you sometimes don't even know if you've been glutened or not, if it's just other symptoms altogether. But I definitely know when it happens with me, like I'll just, uh, I, first thing that happens is the brain fog. Like I'll just completely space out. I kind of explain to people it's like a seriously bad hangover or you just had a huge bender. Like yeah. that's the that's the, uh, that's the way I often describe it to people. You just be, you know, just can't function. Spewing really. or coming from the other end. Yeah. yeah. And then I get like mouth ulcers, really bad mouth ulcers mm. and just horrible, horrible stomach pain and bloating and just, yeah, can't think properly. Some people do unfortunately get hospitalized with it because they will just be like exorcist style. They'll just be projectile vomiting and coming out both ends and it gets really violent. But luckily I just, it have you know, I kind of go the other way and nothing kind of happens for a few days and then a lot happens, right. uh, if you know what I mean. Oh, so, so, yeah. it's, so it's, deli it's delayed. It's not an instantaneous thing? It can, yeah, it can be. Um, it kind of depends on the situation and what sort of gluten I've ingested. Yeah, mine is really random. I've, I've had some bouts of it happening straight after I've eaten, but then other times it can be totally delayed and happen like the next day. It's, uh, and, that, and that's why it's so hard to track as well and know if it is actually gluten that you've ingested or if you just caught a virus or yeah. it's like a stomach bug or something. Yeah. But if you constantly do that, like a one-off glutening, as we say, it's a, it's a glutening. If you ingest gluten as a celiac, like that one-off, you know, it just happening as a one-off time isn't such a serious issue. But if that's going on for an ongoing basis, that can be a really, really... Uh, serious situation and um, yeah, it can lead to some horrible health effects. As I said, some forms of cancers, lymphomas, that sort of thing. Far out. Yeah. It's, it's obviously so intricately connected with so many serious health things. And yeah, I think unless you've got celiac disease or you know someone who does, it's just one of those things that people have no idea about. And like <laughs> my girlfriend is gluten-free and She's the only person that I know who is, but she's not celiac, but just has that um, intolerance there. But like, I didn't even really know much about that. And I think maybe it even has a bit of a stigma attached to it of, oh yeah, you're gluten-free. Like it's not a real thing, kind of, kind of an attitude from some people, but obviously it has a major impact and it's affecting so many people who don't even know about it. 
Yeah, that's it. And I had no idea about celiac disease or the gluten-free diet before at all myself as well. Like I had no idea what gluten was. Uh, and I had, yeah, I don't think <laughs> I even really had heard of celiac disease either. Uh, I don't know if that was just, you know, my kind of ignorance. I might have heard it, you know, mentioned at some point in conversation, in passing conversation with friends or family or whatever, but never really heard of it. Um, and ironically, I used to mock people like, like a lot of people I used to mock people on all sorts of different diets. Yeah. Ironically, I ended up with having to be on a very strict lifelong uh, gluten-free diet, which yeah, it still gets, it still gets a fair bit of stigma. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of clearing up now that people usually are on it for, you know, medical reasons, not just lifestyle factors. And it, it, you know, obviously it, uh, it does things to us with, with people with celiac disease and people who medically require it for other reasons. Athletic Greens has jumped on board as a podcast sponsor and I'm really keen to introduce you to AG1, the one-stop shop nutritional drink that does wonders to support mental and physical health. If you're anything like me, you want to take the best possible care of your mind and body and finding an easy method you can trust to help keep everything in peak condition sounds like the perfect tool. That's where AG1 comes in. Just one daily scoop of AG1 covers all your nutritional bases and supports long-term gut health with 75 vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, adaptogens, and a greens blend all sourced from whole food ingredients. Think of it like a cheat code to give you more energy, increase mental clarity, better sleep, and improve digestion, all while boosting your immune system. You wouldn't think mixing all those vitamins together would taste great, but AG1 is actually delicious and something to look forward to first thing in the morning that makes you feel unstoppable. You don't need to take a handful of pills or eat a massive variety of foods to tick all the boxes. Just shake up your AG1 in water, drink it down and start reaping the benefits. It saves time and energy and gives you peace of mind that you're fueling your body with the best. AG1 has been endorsed by world-renowned neuroscientist Dr. Andrew Huberman and some of the biggest podcasters on earth like Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss and now me. So you can guarantee it's legit. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but producing the podcast is purely volunteer and I actually have to pay for studio time and editing. Every dollar we make from this partnership will go towards helping to cover production costs. So it's an awesome way to support your health, support the podcast and young men's mental health all in one. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com youngblood. That's athleticgreens.com youngblood. Check it out. So how's your quality of life changed since getting that all sorted out? I think just way better. <laughs> um, Honestly, like uh, even just a couple of days into going gluten free after my diagnosis, uh, it just improved so much. The brain fog lifted, was able to like think clearly for once. Yeah, just the bloating, all that joint pain and and back pain and stuff. It stayed for a while, but gluten can take a while to get out of the body, even after you go gluten free. And uh, yeah, everything just sort of lifted, and I felt like. I honestly felt like after a couple of days on the gluten-free diet, like I was just having like two or three cups of coffee, like every couple of hours. I was like, yeah. oh, what? <laughs> is this how people are supposed to be feeling? <laughs> oh, okay, this is cool. Yeah, yeah I could get used to this. <laughs> just way more energy and I had way much more you know, time and energy for my, my family, uh, which was the biggest thing for me, just having more energy to be with my child and soak everything up and just you know, be fun and, and, and do stuff with them. And same with my wife as well, just being able to go out with our bub and do stuff. And, and I was just in the here and now and not like, 
you know, hauled up in bed or feeling like crap. Mm. Yeah, it was awesome. And you must have learned a lesson about well, trusting your gut, so to speak. I think it's probably appropriate for this, but trusting yourself and knowing, hey, I, I feel strongly in the back of my mind that something's not right and suffering from that for so long. And in the end, you were right about that. And I think there's an important lesson there where if you're not getting the feedback or you're not getting the answers to solve whatever that riddle is, you still got to keep looking for the answers and not just accept, well, I'm just broken or it's all, it's all in my head and I'm never going to be fixed because you could have done that in your position with all those medical professionals saying, look, it's nothing other than, well, either something we have no idea about or something that's in your head. Like you totally could have just convinced yourself that that was just your lot and you should just try and live with it. Um, but you didn't, you kept looking for answers and fortunately found them. But I think that's an important lesson for anyone who's going through something similar. Like if you feel deeply within yourself that something's not right still, you got to keep looking for that answer until you find it so that you can improve your life because it's got to be, it's got to be something. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with celiac disease. A lot of people give up and especially guys, there's, I think for a lot of autoimmune diseases, um, it, it is, they say that the statistics are that it is predominantly women who live with these diseases, but I really do wonder if that is because guys are just so hesitant to come forward for testing and, um, to, you know, have that stigma, that Australian stigma of like, you know, let's just, you know, bottle this up and not talk about it. And that never does anything good. Like, let's be honest, you know, and I'm sure you've spoken to so many people on this podcast who have said the same thing. Like whenever you bottle something up, it'll come back in another way. Mm. It'll come back either mentally or physically, but yeah, just to, to reach out to a health professional if you're not feeling right and to, and to seek out another answer as well, not to feel like, you know, you've spoken to one doctor or one psychologist. I see a psychologist now and is awesome. I would encourage anybody to go see a psychologist uh, to, if, if you're not feeling right and you feel like you need to speak to someone and friends or family, you don't feel like that's a, you know, a safe space or you're not getting good enough feedback from them or they're not listening. Uh, just, you know, go and speak to someone and book in with them. And if something doesn't feel right, if you don't find the right person, do not feel bad to just find a second opinion. At the end of the day, it's your health, your mental and physical health, and that's priority. Because if you can't look after yourself, as I've found out, you can't help anybody else. Yeah. I think part of it is getting over that embarrassment factor as well with that condition in particular. That's really tough. But even for men in general, when it comes to mental health, traditionally, we've found that hard to get over that. Oh, you know, I should be embarrassed that I feel like I have to go and talk to someone about my feelings. But in this case, yeah. talking about celiac disease because of the kind of symptoms that come along with that they're not necessarily they don't make us feel particularly dignified when those sorts yeah. of th when we're having problems with those sorts of things so it's definitely something that people would want to bury or not want to address or sort of hope goes away because it's awkward too or it can be but again that's just in that's in your mind as well because we're so worried about how we're perceived or that we might be looked at in a certain way and, and we're worried about the embarrassment factor but really everyone's just worried about themselves. And so it must've been difficult to get over that part of it too. What was your experience with dealing with that, the embarrassment side of it? Oh, for sure. Like in the first place, sitting down with a doctor and being like, I'm crapping myself, yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, and um, I, I can't control my bowels. 
that's not a thing you want to tell your doctor. It's like, how's your, you know, how are your bowel movements at the moment? They're fine. Like, how are you feeling, you know, in general? Uh, you know, like, not great. And it's like, well, how aren't you feeling great? And just even to have that conversation, I've, I never felt comfortable talking about anything that was going wrong. I, I think because and that's of the, the doctor. That sort of- like, the doctor isn't your friend or your partner and they don't care they're a medical professional they literally just need to know your symptoms so they can help you and we still feel really embarrassed and i've had my own experiences with things of that nature and that's hard um let alone you know being in the in the house with your wife or or your child or your friends and family and then having to explain that to them as well like that's that's hard to do too absolutely yeah i think it's a hard conversation to to have at at the best of times and then following that as well, being diagnosed and, and having to be gluten-free, no one wants to be the person in general, whether you're a, you know, a guy or a girl, like no one wants to sit at the table and be like, you know, the one who the waitress comes over and it's like, okay, so who's ordering what? And it's like, well, actually I need the gluten-free menu or I need to have what's gluten. And then asking a million questions. Yeah. Like I have to do that now. I have to be that guy who I ironically, you know, used to mock like, yeah, oh, they're on the gluten-free yeah that's it like Like it's some fancy thing like you're just trying to look you're trying to look like you know you're better than everyone else or or something that's the stigma attached to it but obviously some people seriously do need gluten-free and they need to make sure of that and that's that's the conversation to have with them as well if anybody asks about it it's like well if you got a spare five minutes i can quickly tell you what celiac disease is it's quite complicated and they're like after they hear that they're like wow okay, I can see why you need this diet now. And I think to get that across as well, to, to, uh, to say that it's for medical reasons, especially with staff or, you know, whoever's making the food for you to say that you medically require this diet. Otherwise I will get violently ill maybe here in your restaurant or cafe. There's a big big incentive. (laughs) There's a big incentive to get that right. Yeah. It's not just like some fad of, Oh, I feel like doing this because it's going to be, good for my, like how I look or something like that. It's just, it's a serious thing. Um, so how do you manage your condition now in terms of how does that affect preparing food? And like you said, it's a bit tricky when you go out. How do you make sure that you don't get a crumb of gluten? Yeah. So at home, I've really become, you know, passionate about making food in general. Uh, but since my diagnosis, I've, I've really, um, really just tried to help out in the kitchen as much as possible and make meals and prep food and stuff with my wife, who's an amazing cook. Uh, she has a Lebanese background. So she, uh, she is all over, you know, making awesome food and she's taught me quite a lot. Yeah. We, we just, we basically have the kitchen as like 99% gluten-free just because I do prepare so many meals for the kids and my wife and I, you know, make so much food together. So just there's not that chance of getting cross-contaminated. We do have gluten um, for the girls and for my wife, and it's just in a separate cupboard. And so home is like pretty much a, a safe place and I'm able to, you know, make as much food as I want there and eat safely. Going out and eating somewhere else is a different story. And uh, I'm still trying to get back into doing that. I, that's something I really enjoyed going out and socializing and being with friends and family and just eating out in general. Mm but it's such an awkward thing these days. Like for example, I went to the pub with my mate yesterday and I haven't really explained my, you know, celiac disease and being gluten-free to him much at all. We didn't have much of a chance to, to catch up recently with lockdowns and COVID and such, but we went out and caught up for a, you know, 
a beer. Well, he had a beer. <laughs> they yeah. didn't really have many options for me. Um, I'm able to have ciders and that sort of thing, but I've actually cut out drinking from my life too. It's another thing I've um, kind of taken on board recently because I just felt like crap. Uh, last time I had a drink and I just haven't had one since. But uh, yeah, I just took some pre-prepared food because it's just, sometimes that's just easier. And I know like sometimes you get some weird looks and stuff, but I just don't care. You know, uh, I've got to take my health as a priority. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, I think awareness has really risen with celiac disease and the gluten-free diet. Now there's so many more options and uh, people are a lot more aware of it. So, so how does that, how's that taken? Like if you, if you're being invited out somewhere and you want, you're going to take your own food with you or like, do you sometimes reject invitations and that sort of thing? Because you're yeah. just, you're just like, I can't be fucked basically trying to yeah. navigate that. Or uh, do you feel like there's still a lot of places where you go out to eat where they, they don't manage it well enough that you'd feel confident enough in it or like, yeah. How do you sort of, how do you sort of weigh up whether or not you're going to go somewhere? It's super tricky and I'm still kind of trying to navigate that. Um, I think people with celiac disease or a bit who have been on a gluten-free diet for a long time, you start to get this like sixth sense. It's sort of this like, uh, hypervigilance yeah. issue. You're, um, you're, you're seriously wanting to make friends with that waiter. Like, or at least I do. I want to be on their good side. I don't want anything bad to happen in the kitchen. Cause I don't know what, you know, the waiter or the chef is, you know, yeah. accidentally going to do, or, you know, totally, you know, hopefully, hopefully not, but you know, intentionally do anything. Yeah. You, you, um, you kind of want to own the restaurant and yeah. <laughs> And and have having hired all the all the chefs and all the staff and be able to go into the kitchen and check like maybe that's what you need to work towards. <laughs> yeah, well, there are actually a hundred you know places that are a hundred percent gluten free, which is awesome. It's just like gluten free heaven. You know, you go in and you can just order whatever the hell you want, and it's you know free reign basically. Mm. Uh, you just knock yourself out. But most of the time, that isn't you know the situation. I've got to explain uh, you know that I have celiac disease and I need this, yeah. this meal, hundred percent gluten-free. Have you got a separate fryer to, you know, a hundred percent gluten-free fryer where you don't fry other gluten containing foods, are your benches where you prepare the food, you know, is that all clear of gluten yeah. Are yeah, you yeah. Not using the same utensils? Like it's a whole, it's a whole yeah. thing. But then if, you just say, I, oh, I, I kind of feel just like ask, a wanker doing it, but you know, you know, trying to get, and I, I think especially as a man, like, so many men wouldn't want to be that guy to, or, and women too, but I think maybe men in particular to be saying that because well, a lot of mates would be like, oh, who don't understand would be like, oh, yeah. you know, what are you talking about, mate? You're being a wanker. But it's just about that yeah. lack of awareness really in, into what goes into that. Are places all right with you bringing your own food or would they be like, no, you can't do that here? And that means you can't go out to eat. Yeah. It's it's more like social gatherings and that you know like um if I'm going to an event or something yeah. at someone else's house then it's okay to like bring you know a plate of food or whatever but I think um you know some pe some places are okay with it you know you I've heard of people and I've listened to people they've shared with me on Instagram that they go to Macca's and they get like a gluten free bun and they just order you know the patty and they put that together. That just sounds like way too much effort for me. I just I just don't, I just don't actually have time for that sort of thing. But um. Yeah, I think people are open to to that to an extent, but they may find it a little bit weird or it might put other customers off or that sort of mm. thing. So I think most people sort of tend to avoid that. Uh, you know, you don't want to be 
you know, sort of the person who brings their own milk, for example, or yeah. something to a cafe. And it's like, can you use this instead of, you know, what you're using? So it's, it's yeah, just the, the way of life for us. That's tough because going out to eat is like one, one of the best things in life, I, I think. Like, being, you know, yeah. being able to go out for lunch and go out for dinner and not really worry about it. It's just something that you know, people like myself who don't suffer with that just take for granted, like being able to do that. But that's sweet and that's really just good fun to be able to like have that freedom to do it, but it'd be tough to not be able to for that reason. So what, what positives have come out of having celiac disease? Oh, I think just working on myself in all aspects, obviously just the, the physical symptoms, the mental sy symptoms lifting, uh, obviously my body doesn't deal well with gluten. So when I went gluten free, that is, you know, how I should be living. Uh, I, uh, I have an autoimmune reaction to this protein, which is, you know, gluten and I need to be off that. And once I did that, everything just felt so much better. And I just felt so much, uh, so much more energy. And, and as I said, but in, in all aspects, like I've kind of holistically looked after myself in, in, in every single way, you know, as I said, I, I've um, seen a psychologist now and, I'm trying to regularly go back to see them and book in with them because that has just made such a world of difference. Just even just sitting there with someone and going like, this is what's going on in my life. Do you have any suggestions or tips or strategies? And they're like, yeah, for sure. You know, you could do this and you could try this and maybe, you know, start doing some journaling and start like, you know, looking at things as, you know, not everything all at once and taking small steps to do that. And it's just, it's just getting that different perspective around things and that's made a huge difference. Yeah, just making time for for being with my family too and having the energy to do that in the first place and uh, and starting the podcast that I do as well, a gluten-free podcast, like starting that and speaking to all these people who have been in really similar situations and who have had some horrible things happen to them pre-celiac diagnosis and seeing how they've dealt with their you know, transition to their gluten-free lives has been awesome. And finding this community, like I'm a drummer and I've, I've been in bands uh, throughout my life and, you know, sort of seen really niche communities, <laughs> really niche musical communities. Uh, it, it's kind of like that, this, this really niche gluten-free community. We're all there to help each other be, you know, happy, healthy and, and thriving with our best lives. And uh, it's been really cool. And uh, I've found a little niche community to, to sort of, to network with and make friends with. And that's been awesome. And yeah, as I said, my wife has just been the number one support. I would not be doing any of this without her. And, um, and, you know, just, she's just been, yeah. I think you've, you've done well with the brownie points amazing. in this one. I think, I think she'll be, uh, <laughs> she'll be happy if she listens to this, but it, it, it seems like a real silver lining that you've ended up getting purpose out of dealing with this, which has been, the hardest or one of the hardest things you've ever dealt with in your life. And now you have a gluten-free podcast and you have this community yeah. and this page and you're helping people. And that's pretty similar to what I do, but I get a tremendous amount of purpose and meaning out of that. So you must be too. Mm -hmm. And often from tragedy or from hard times comes something that's positive that we can use to help other people. And yeah, what do you think about reflecting and saying like, if I hadn't have gone through all this, then I wouldn't have this community. I wouldn't have this capacity to be able to impact people and, and help others. And that's all come from struggling and suffering and ultimately adapting. That's it. That's exactly it. I think through 
through struggles and hard times. And this is what I've found as well, maybe just, you know, getting a little bit older and and figuring out that the hard times can really be the best time as well. It can, you know, it can seem like the worst thing in your life at the time and it may very well be and and you may need some some help with that. But if you can get past that and um and sort of grow from that and learn from it, it, it just seems like one little hump in your life. And it's like, well, if I didn't go through that hump, then I wouldn't have figured it out, you know, to, to get to where I am now. And that's where I feel like, you know, my celiac diagnosis was. And, and I've learned so many things about myself since going through that. You know, it, it all it kind of all happened at once as well, like a celiac diagnosis and and COVID and and my my first uh, child. It, it was all happening at once, and I know so many people were in that same boat. Yeah, I've learned so much since then, and I I know like it may uh, seem like not such a a big thing to talk about. I know that people have been through way heavier stuff than I have, but to in the same vein, to not feel like your problem is, you know, not worth talking about. Is too little to talk about. Yeah, because I think that's another issue in itself. Like when people don't talk about things, you know, I yeah. felt like that. Well, because people often diagnosis. say, like, like yeah, but that's not as bad as, and that feeds into the embarrassment. Oh, well, that's no near, no one near yes. as bad as people in war torn countries or people with exactly. serious trauma or, you know, who've been af- affected by suicide. So, again, that's another reason to say, uh, it's not worth talking about. I should just keep it to myself, but we know where that goes. And so it is really important to talk about because the fact is that even though it was just celiac disease, which people might refer to it as, it got you to a point where you were pretty much on your knees and unable to function. And if you didn't find the answer, who knows where you'd be now? So it actually is pretty, pretty serious. And given how common it is, it's really important that people be aware of it. What do you want people to know about celiac disease? Can you sum it up? What do you, what's your, your message to people? Yeah, so the number one thing I would say uh, is if you haven't had celiac disease testing, it is super simple. It's just a blood test. Um, go forward and get the testing for it. And if you are in that testing phase, if you think gluten is affecting you, do not go gluten-free before you get the testing. I did that. And uh, I was in a world of pain going off gluten. It was only for like a month or two or something like that. But my body started obviously doing the healing and it figured out that it should be off gluten. And uh, then I had to get onto a gluten challenge, which was probably the hardest part to diagnosis for me. Even pre, you know, all the symptoms and everything I was having before, they were the worst six weeks that I went through. So don't, don't change your diet. And, uh, and go get the test and, and see what it comes back as because obviously it's flying under the radar. You know, as I said, one in 70 people are estimated to have it and 80% are going undiagnosed. So it's crazy. Yeah, please go forward and get tested for it. If you, even if, you know, some people are asymptomatic with it and doing just as much damage. So yeah, you could have it and, and not know, not to freak people out or anything, but yeah, just speak to your doctor about it and see if they'd be comfortable with you getting the testing. If that's thing, if that's something you think you should be, yeah, you should be screened for. And yeah, the other thing I'd say is, yeah, if someone is gluten-free or who has celiac disease, just have a chat to them and uh, learn a little bit more about it and how they're kind of dealing with things in their own lives. And they might need some help in some way and, and you could, you know, possibly help them out by just reaching out to them, asking if they want to go out for a meal or, you know, asking if you could maybe 
make some food for them. Like that is a huge thing for us. If someone takes the time to learn about this disease and the gluten-free diet and is like, you know what, like I did a bit of research and, and I found out that, you know, you might like these, you know, gluten-free biscuits or something. You just pick them up from the supermarket and just, you know, or invite them out to dinner or something and ask what their dietary requirements are. They're like that's a massive thing. Uh, it's huge. And that may seem really little and insignificant, but for us, that's like, wow, you're taking the time to figure that out. That's really cool. Good. Some good points. And where can people find your, your podcast and more of you and your content? A gluten-free family on Instagram. And you can find my podcast. It's under all the podcasting apps, a gluten-free podcast. I thought I'd make it really easy uh, for searchability yeah. just to have it as a gluten-free podcast. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks for and, Oh, You can also out. send me an email too as well, um, a gluten-free family at gmail.com if you want to reach out. Perfect, mate. Well, yeah, like I said, thanks so much for sharing that story. It's not one that you hear often, but it's obviously something that's relevant to a whole lot of people. So I think it's important that we have a think about it and probably know someone in our lives or maybe we should go get tested ourselves. So yeah, just thanks for putting it out there like that and getting over the embarrassment to help yourself and help others and end up in a good spot now, man. So good to see you doing well. Yeah, thanks, Cal, man. And, and seriously, you're doing a great job with this podcast and all the work you're doing too. So I think, uh, yeah, any chance to, to talk about men's physical and mental health is, is a win in my book. So um, yeah, keep up the great work yourself. Awesome, and thanks man. for having me on. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you like what we're doing, please jump on board with our mental health movement by following Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. If you're already following, we'd love you to get more involved. Look out for our new weekly question time videos we've just started doing and leave a comment to make yourself part of the conversation. Every podcast episode is recorded in professional quality video and they're all up on our Young Blood Men's Mental Health YouTube channel. So bless us with a subscription. And most importantly, please share the show with anyone in your life who needs to know they're not alone. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.